We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we or our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars both new and old. There are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith, and even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. To learn more about this incredible ministry, call 888-390-7341. That's 888-390-7341. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on The Daily Brew. A pizza. Pizza! Where do we at the Daily Brew go when we want good pizza? Snappy Tomato. Not only is it good, but they also have the Beast, which is great for a church or a small group setting. Bro, bro, Jeremy, I will give you 20 bucks if you can eat the Beast by yourself. On the spot. You're going to lose $20. Matter of fact, Jeremy will give $20 to anyone who can eat an entire Beast in one setting. Okay, maybe you won't do that, but there. Pizza is amazing. It is enormous. There's no way one person can eat it. It is big enough for an entire small group, I know from experience. Well, considering I'm a beast, I think I can take on the beast. With several convenient locations such as Washington Pike, Seymour, Hardin Valley, and Farragut, Snappy Tomatoes close by the neighborhood near you. Let them know that you heard about them from the Daily Brew. You are busy, you are always on the go, but are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us. Obviously, Southerners do a lot of food really well, sure. but there's one thing that from Philly that I haven't had that's close since I've moved back. I have not been able to eat bread down here and enjoy it, period. I can't, I can't eat it down here. Like, moving away from Philly, I was like, the bread there is just crazy good. The Italian the Italian rolls, yeah. I mean, that's, like, every time 
every time I have to eat a Subway sandwich, a little part of my soul dies. <laughs> I, I agree. You've had a proper, like, hoagie from, you know, on, on crusty Italian bread with Capicola and Charbonne. You know, I, I would see, like, a Subway, I would see a Subway in Philly, and I'm like, who goes to this place in Philly? Right. Really? Exactly, yeah. I remember the first, first time I went to Subway, I ordered an Italian, and they put mayonnaise on it, and I was oh. like... Have I done something to offend you, or you know, <laughs> is, this, is, this, is this some trick? Did I, what are you doing? This is The Daily Brew. It's Adam Hall, and this is my co-host, Jeremy Thornburg. Hello. We are a Christian podcast that examines various biblical and cultural issues through the lens of Christ. Uh, this week, we're on part two of a series on church planning. So, last week, we had the joy of interviewing Daniel M. This week, we have the joy of interviewing Mike McKinley. Um, he is the author of Church Planning is for Wimps. So, if you're a church planner, he's just called you out. Um, so, you're, you're all pansies. Every one of you, including Jeremy and I. <laughs> so. But uh, what we want to talk about this week in our discussion, um, Jeremy and I both have been involved in church planting. Um, both were currently in the same church together in a church plant, but he also has been involved in another church, and then I've been in one as well. And we just want to talk about maybe difficulties uh, difficulties had in church planting and things you may experience. And I'll go ahead and start off with, um, a lot of people don't realize that established churches and church plants really differ um, in their strategy and their structure, everything it may be. For example, most churches, when they, they go together or they gather together the Sunday mornings, most people don't have to get there early to set up the entire building, to set up sound equipment, uh, chairs, whatever it may be. They don't have to stay after to tear down. Um, there's a lot of things that are different. There's... Uh, uh, oftentimes with church planning, you don't have a set location that you own um, early on, so you have to rent a facility. Um, sometimes it's not um, one that you own, so you only can be there once a week. Sometimes you can be there more often. Um, yeah, there's lots of different struggles. What are some of the struggles you've experienced, Jeremy, in church planning? We'll kind of uh, just piggyback back and forth off those. I, I can tell you one that uh, a person in our church will have, and that's trying to get the coffee maker to warm up on Sunday mornings. That's the struggle is very much real. It is. Poor uh poor poor Chris just uh that that coffee maker is the bane of his existence and uh it takes him 20 minutes to get the reservoir heated up and it's it's quite humorous to watch. Whenever you have um, an older guy in your church trying to figure out how to make a coffee and when I say older guy don't hear me as singing like, you know, 40s or 50s or 60s or even 70s. I mean, this guy probably was there when he stepped off the ark. I'm just going to go ahead and toss that one out there. He was around for Matt Matlock's law school training, if you know what I mean. He uh, he stormed the shores of Nor- of Normandy. <laughs> um, I, I would be uh, getting back to getting back to being serious for a moment. I, I'd say something difficult about church planning would be um, just literally not. Um, you have to really, uh, and this is a good thing as well. But you don't know where money's. Sometimes you don't know where your money's coming from week to week. Um, a lot of times, people um, they get cold feet about coming on board um, because you're not an established church. Um, and uh, again, all, all these things that are difficult, they're they're also beautiful because the people that stick with you at the beginning of things like that, they're usually with you for the long haul. Mm-hmm. So um, it is it is hard, um, but that that difficulty and that hardness makes you 
makes you rely on God more because you you literally watch God supply for you when you don't know where the next again the next paycheck for your writs coming from or where the you know how you're going to grow and God just grows his church it's kind of great to watch I think one thing that's been neat in our context is so uh, some of the things we didn't uh, obviously with the church plant you don't have right at the beginning like you may not have uh, some larger churches can pay nursery workers they also can play, pay a, a children's minister full time to actually work and and find people to actually teach and different things of that nature so uh, with church plants you often don't have enough people so you have to train up people you have to get enough people to actually do this and then um one thing that I found neat just uh, through our process together here um, at our church is it's been really beautiful to see the people have come and stayed. It's not that we have uh, anything amazing to offer. We don't have uh, the greatest nursery program or the, the greatest children's ministry or uh, youth ministry, whatever it may be. Um, our attraction has solely been, hey, we're gathering together. We're a people. We love spending time together. Um, we're centering. We're trying to center our lives around the gospel. Trying to center the service around the gospel. And the result is, uh, all we have to offer is the gospel. Like we don't have anything that's really attractional, if you want to think of it that way. So um, I think, just like Jeremy's saying, even though it's difficult and we don't have as much as some of the larger churches, not to say that they don't have uh, they don't have the gospel or anything of nature. And I'm not saying that at all. But really, the only thing we have to hold on to, and the only thing that's uh, keeping people around, is not um, a great youth ministry or a great building or uh, whatever it may be. It's all we have is the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's what you're left with. I mean, like you said, we're not going to offer these. Um, we, we're not going to offer these these programs off the bat, and um, it's kind of nice to kind of start from the ground up because when you, when you kind of start from the ground up, or even if you're renovating a church, um, I think that's what Mike McKinley was doing is renovating a, a church. His was more of a uh, more of a church renovation from an older church. Uh, one of the beautiful things there is when you start from the ground up is that um, you just tend to get real close to those people as you grow. And um, those people are always your support. Like you, you'll have your, your early deacons, your early families. And those people that stick, again, those people that stick with you know, those early years, those are the ones that are real important in year five and year 10 uh, down the line in, in your church plan. Hmm. Amen. I think another difficulty is as well is when you have a building and you have, um, we'll say, signage and different things of that nature already established for your church, um, and you already have your name out in the community, it's a lot easier for people and to point people to your church if you want to invite people. But for a church plant, you don't have a building to actually post a sign up. Uh, you may put some signage on the streets. Um, but a lot of times your growth is is by word of mouth and through evangelism. So I think that makes it a little difficult, a little different. And I think larger churches they they have different struggles. It's not that larger churches are bad and smaller churches are good, but the, there's different struggles and there's different benefits if that makes sense at all. But uh, it's really neat to see is that. The growth in the church plant, you definitely notice when people aren't there. I know uh, early on, uh, Jeremy can attest to us as well, but early on, you get to, you're gathering together, your families are getting together, and you're wondering, hey, is, uh, is Jeremy's family going to be the only one that's here? And then um, you get a little nervous, is anyone going to show up this week? Is anyone not? And then uh, it's neat to see God f- being faithful, and then over time seeing it grow and grow and grow, and you can look and say, hey, in two years, look how far God has taken us and really grown and shaped our church. And um, 
it's really a, a joyous thing to see. I know with larger churches, you may not have those joys because you really, numerically, it may be harder or more difficult to see um, see those things. But with a smaller church, especially a church plant, you, you really notice every single person that walks in the door or any person that leaves. Um, this would be a fun conversation. So um, with, uh, with church plants, I think one difficulty... Uh, that, that can happen is that um, I, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use here. Not not that we become too entrepreneurial or marketable. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but I think that sometimes we can lean on those to draw, and uh, we lean on them in the sense to draw in other Christians. And I, I think a lot of times it's real easy in church planning. I, I've seen this with myself. It's real easy to draw in other Christians, almost like church transfers, mm-hmm. as opposed to evangelism, uh, local missions. I, I think that's a definite uh, because you know we we unfortunately just being in America, a lot of us just struggle with this numbers mindset. If we could just get to a hundred people just as quick as possible, and you know sometimes. Um, Sometimes, and a lot of times, actually, slow growth is is good because you you want quality disciples, not just quantity. And um, I think what's I think it's what's hard, at least what I noticed with myself, and I've noticed with other church planners, is is the tendency to kind of chase numbers and uh, church transfers. And we it's really no different. We, we we want to evangelize. We want to take the gospel to people, and we really want to see people saved in our communities. And so I think that's a struggle for church planners. Yeah, um, ta- piggybacking on that, I had a friend who was uh, church planting in, a, in another area, and he, uh, his church plant, uh, obviously I think the percentage of church plants succeeding is something like, uh, it's only like 20%, I believe. Uh, can you correct me on that? Is that, is that... I, I think it's even lower than that. I, now, again, this is a number that I had heard, um, this may have been Stetzer, it's Stetzer a few years back. Um, I know four or five years ago I heard a number that 88% of church plants fell within the first two years. I believe it was. So with numbers like that, it's it's staggering that such a high percentage fail. But I had a friend who was at a church plant who was faithfully serving, and his church plant failed. And then he honestly felt like a failure because his church plant dissolved. Um, and the result of that was uh, him expressing that, hey, you know, I, I tried my hardest. I prayed about this. We did evangelism, did everything I could, and it ended up resulting in the church failing. And my response to him, and I think what we hear from Mike McKinley as well, and that's kind of where the title of his book comes from, Church Funnings for Wimps, is it really makes you realize how weak you truly are. But in in my response to him and my encouragement to him was the fact that you're not a failure if you share the gospel as a church planner. So whether you see large growth or a little growth, whatever it may be, your hope is not in numbers. Your hope is, have you been faithful to the Word? Have you been preaching the Word? Have you been evangelizing others? Um, you got to think, some of the most faithful men in Scripture altogether didn't see any growth. They didn't see any type of conversions, and some of the ministers were called just to go and preach, and no one would listen. Uh, think about Isaiah, who's called to go and preach to Israel and tell them that they're not going to repent. So there are times where faith may not result in um, your church plant succeeding, but here's the thing. Your success is not on the numbers. Your success is in the gospel advanced in your community, whether that be a small uh, a small thing that you may see over time, whether it be rapid growth, whatever it may be, your hope is in the gospel and, and your faithfulness to that, and that determines your success, not numeric. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, if God, if God builds his church, um, 
I mean, God can choose for a, for whatever reason, God can choose for a church to not make it. And um, I think, um, you know, with your, with your friend, I think just some encouragement for him is that God has got some other plan for those people that were part of that church. I mean, if God builds it, he also takes away from it. And um, God's got a, a different plan in mind. So, yeah, e- even with... Uh, it, it, it's very easy to get a failure mindset uh, in, in church planning. Well, we don't have the numbers, um, you know. We, our, our people, you know, uh, we wish they were, you know, stronger disciples, or we're not, we're not reaching a community. And at the end of the day, I mean, um, really, at the end of the day, what we're left with is, is are we, are we preaching the gospel, like you said, are we evangelizing? If we're, if we're doing those things, and even if a church plant fails, we're doing what God's called us to do. Amen. Amen. And let me, let's resolve on this because we only have a few minutes left here, but let's resolve on this. I don't want you guys to think that all of church planning is miserable and saddening and uh, discouraging. Well, it's, it's like listening to the newest Nickelback song. <laughs> it really is. Like it's more sad and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wonder if Nickelback cries when they're making music. Like, this is so bad. Like, they can't even stand it. <laughs> so. Tears streaming down his face while songs are coming out. And, uh, in the studio. Like, how did we ever get this bad? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't I don't want you to think church planning is all negative, all bad. It's actually quite joyous. Um, the You've got to find donors, different things like that nature. You're recruiting people. And I think one of the joys of that I've experienced in church planning, and Jeremy can attest to, to this as well, is especially in our context, and I'm not sure if this is every church planning context, but... Most guys in ministry, they'll go and be on staff at a church, and they're there on staff with a lot of guys they may not know. Well, in our context, the joy of it, it has been for us is that some of our best friends have surrounded us, and these people have become our best friends. So I'm getting to do ministry with people I absolutely love. Um, so like, it's it's not necessarily like a job or something difficult. Hey, it's spending time with people and sharing the gospel. That's kind of uh, the joy of it is that um, we get to hang out with people we love. We get to do something that we love, and um, all while glorifying God and seeking to proclaim His name and and seeking to um, reach out to a community, share the gospel of the community. So there's all kinds of incredible joys. You get to see growth in people. You get to, to know a lot more people um, because it's a smaller setting. There's all kinds of incredible joys in church planning. It's not something that's discouraging, but there are a lot of difficulties in it. So if you're considering it, don't let it bring you down. Don't be afraid of it, but know that it's going to be difficult. It's not easy, but there's so many incredible joys in the process of it as well. Dog. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay to be a it's okay to be a wimp. You're yeah. you're gonna be a wimp. It's gonna happen, and that's that's the beauty of this conversation we had with Mike McKinley today. Amen. So we're gonna go to this conversation now, and I know you guys are gonna enjoy that. So I look forward to you guys hearing it. We are here with Mike McKinley. He's the author of Church Planning Is for Wimps. Uh, thank you very much for joining our show. Yeah, glad to glad to do it. Thanks for having me. So have you written any other books besides that? I know you I think you have, I just cannot remember the titles. That one sticks out just because I'm involved in church planning. So uh, and then we're also doing a series on church planning, but I imagine you've done more writing. Yeah, yeah, I've written um written probably a handful of books um by now. So um uh, written in the uh Nine Mark series a book called Am I Really a Christian? Um they try to help people explore just that question, how, you know, how to have assurance and how to know uh, if they're a Christian or not. And uh 
some some commentaries on on uh, on Luke for the Good Book Company and their little series God's Word for You. So, a bunch of different things over the years. Very cool. So, like I said, we're doing a series on church planning, and uh, we want to ask you just a few questions. So, first of all, where did the title come from? I'm a church planner. Am I a wimp? Uh, what's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, you know it's it's funny from like uh, from back in the day um, when uh, when Nine Marks Ministries first got started, it was called the the Center for Church Reform, um, which was a terrible name, um, but but we used to kind of joke around a little bit that you know we should get T-shirts and say like church planning is for wimps because um, you know part of the ministry uh, of Nine Marks is encouraging church revitalization, um, and in, in some ways that's it's more challenging than starting from scratch because not only you have to build something but you have to you have to kind of tear down something that was uh, unhealthy so it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek little little joke but it's also <laughs> um you know one of the things that made me want to write the book was uh a lot of the um a lot of the stuff that was coming out for church planting uh, particularly back when i wrote it um the the church planner always seemed like some sort of uh heroic figure like some sort of army ranger of the sort of church world and, and i just thought actually it seems like in my experience and even as i read the bible that God just uses our weakness and brokenness um, to to accomplish his 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 own glory, and so it's kind of one of the try and disabuse uh, church planters of the notion that it's going to be kind of through their their strength and uh, and uh, giftedness that God's going to do this stuff. Very cool. I know in the life of church planning, and I, I know you've been involved in that as well. There are a lot of discouragements. So, do you have any counsel or any encouragement to uh, the discouraged church planner? I know I read recently something like eighty percent of church plants fail, or something. It's it's a high number. I could be wrong on the exact number, but it's a high percentage fail. But do you have any encouragement um, that you offer to church planners in that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I I mean, the math is is not on your side, right? If you're starting out a church plant and um, you know, certainly you can do things, you know, uh, poorly or or better to try and um, help things go well. But but ultimately, I think you just have to be in a place where you you know you um, you're actually okay if it doesn't succeed in the way that um, you know you might have hoped and, and dreamed. So I think there's I think a lot of times discouragement is a, a function of expectations and a lot of again the way we talk about church planting. I think um, and the way we encourage church planters to talk about their church plant and I think probably a lot because we're, they're trying to raise funds is, is really in kind of triumphalistic ways. So, um, you know, you know, you hear a lot of things like, Oh, you know, we're going to plant this, this church, it's going to reach this community for the, you know, and, and all these sort of, uh, you know, amazing things that we're going to do. Um, and, uh, I think maybe a slightly more cautious, you know, we're going to, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray and, uh, and see what God does with it. Uh, I think that approach, probably helps with discouragement because ultimately it's up to God to bear the fruit. So I just tell, I, when, when we started out, I, we had enough money basically to get us through two and a half years. And I pretty much figured we would be done after two and a half years. Um, so no, I really never thought this was going to work to be honest. And, uh, I used to just tell people like, Hey, if this, you know, I've read the end of the Bible, Jesus wins, whether or not this thing looks the way I want it to look really, you know, doesn't affect that at all. And so, just having to keep focused on the big picture and on on what what your work is and what God's work is and and that you know once you're in heaven this is gonna it'll all look great. Hmm. You mean I had a friend recently who was a church planner and um, he was at a, at church planning for probably I'd say about two years altogether and then in the end um, 
ended up dissolving, and just from uh, seeing his response, he seemed to think that it's failed. And my response to him was, if you preach the gospel, it's not a failure. Um, people are hearing the gospel. People are growing in knowledge of the word. Um, your success, even if uh, your plant ends up dissolving and you encourage your people to go to maybe faithful churches in the area. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think one of the things about church planting is we think failure is based upon numbers or success rates of do you become an established church with a building. But uh, when we change that criteria, I think what you said there is very helpful. When we see it as, is the gospel advancing? Is the gospel going out? Are we growing and raising people um, in the knowledge of the word? I think that's where we judge success, whereas most people view it as numbers. Yep, exactly. Amen, amen. Jeremy, I know you had uh, some questions as well. Um, that was one of the main ones I would ask. I want to toss it over to Jeremy now. Sure. Um, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, your, your story is actually very, very similar to ours. And um, I would love to just hear, um, you know, uh, you talk in your book about it's kind of like a revitalization, what you did. Um, I just wonder if you could kind of talk about some similarities and differences between like a revitalization and a fresh plant. Like what would be some differences between those? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in one sense, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of advantages to doing revitalization work. Um, and, and a lot of those are honestly practical. So it was really, it's been really helpful to us that we, you know, had a, a location to meet um, on day one. And uh, you know, even when we outgrew our building and had to start going kind of portable in a school environment, um, you know, we kind of appreciated what we had in a building. And now we, we're back in a, in a permanent building. And so you know, just access to resources is can be really helpful. Um, I think, you know, there's also when you're revitalizing, um, particularly in our case, you know, we were revitalizing a church that had been around for 150 years in our community and it kind of dwindled down to nothing. And in some ways that, that, um, you know, that church was a, was almost a negative witness in the community because it seemed dead and irrelevant. And, um, and so I think sort of tearing down that negative witness and putting up a, you know, a more, um, vibrant witness for the gospel you kind of get a two for one there um so the the downside of course is that yeah you have to you have to clean up a mess so when you're church planting you kind of come in with a blank slate and you can you can sort of say okay here's what we want to be and then day one start being you know working towards being that whereas when you step into a revitalization situation there's you know there's people there there's history there's um there's baggage there's you know, people's personal feelings and all, you know, all those things they have to kind of be careful with and, and wise about, and maybe have to move a little more slowly towards um, the place you want to get to. Yeah, that's great. Um, so a, a question, um, I saw you answer this um, about your book a while back and I, I thought it was very interesting. I'd, I'd love if you shared it with our, our listeners. Um, you, you talked in, uh, you talked about um, contextualization and uh, you appealed to, to something called the homogeneous uh, uh, unit principle. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've got this – in my head I have this idea of like young 20-somethings in skinny jeans drinking like foamy lattes. Yeah. So, could you, <laughs> so could you tell us what biblical uh, contextualization does look like as opposed to this you know, homogeneous unit principle that, that you were talking about? Yeah, you know, I think that's a you know that's a, a complicated question. I think, but I, I do think it's important because a lot of, you know, so I think missiologists particularly noticed that the gospel, you know, tends seems to spread, you know, kind of most quickly within, you know, a, a homogenous unit uh, culturally speaking, and so um, there's a certain effectiveness there, and um, 
and maybe even a certain wisdom uh, to it. But And, of course, you're going to have to contextualize some way. So as soon as you choose a language that you're going to conduct your services in, you're, you're putting things in a context. Mm. Um, so I, I don't want to imagine that we can sort of be, you know, contextual. Um, but I, I do think part of and, – and part of this is my own sort of coming through seminary as a guy in my 20s. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. went to seminary in Philadelphia. And, you know, the – the uh, the conversations I had with with uh, folks was you know hey go go plant a church in the kind of trendy part of town you know in a warehouse or in a bar for for twenty somethings so you know and, and when you asked okay wh- why would I do that well you're the guy with all the tattoos like that was kind of the that was you know so so you're going to be able to reach people who have you know a similar sort of aesthetic personality um, and and as you read the Bible it just seems like that's like having it, like you said, a church full of twenty-something, you know, uh, folks just seems like less than what we should be shooting for. Um, but it actually seems like the gospel uh, crosses over social boundaries and brings, you know, if I see a church full of twenty-something folks in skinny jeans, I understand why they all hang out together. Um, but if I see a church full of, you know, people from different cultures, different socioeconomic groups, different ages, and they're all loving each other. Um, then only, only only the gospel can create that kind of unity and love, and so I think that's what we ought to be shooting for in church. And then I think I think what, the way we achieve that is by instead of sort of making our services very specifically tailored to appeal to a certain kind of person, um, I think we make our services more mere and and just sort of um, I, I'd like to say biblical. Where so if you came to our church. There's obviously going to be some contextualization based on, again, our language, uh, the music choices that we make. But, but I think if you if you took the person from our church who's from Bangladesh, and the person from uh, Zimbabwe, and the person from Niger, and the person from Ukraine, and you said, okay, you know, back in your home culture, what do Christians do when they gather on Sundays? They they read the Bible, they pray. They sing praises to the Lord and they hear God's word preached. Well, that's the same thing we do, right? And that's, you know, that's why I think they feel at home in our services because, you know, obviously the American context is a little bit different, but we're, we're doing the same things and we're doing sort of just the, the sort of mere things the Bible calls us to do. And so we're trying to actually kind of keep the cultural baggage to a minimum so that we can reach all kinds of different people, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, one, one last, at least one last question I've got for you. I don't know if Adam has any more for you. Um, could you just give us a few lessons, um, that, that just how you, you said that God grew you through planning, um, uh, Guilford Baptist church. Um, could you just share some of the things that God taught you, um, maybe in the early years as you were, um, as you were kind of planning and revitalizing the church? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, so much of what God was at work in doing in those early years was actually in, in my own heart and just showing my showing me my own uh, my own sinfulness, my own idols. Um, you know, we church planting is uh, can be uh, very difficult and stressful, and uh, and it was taxing on on my marriage. Um, and so I think it was through all those things and a lot of actually a lot of difficulties in marriage um, that kind of crapped up at the same time we were you know planting this church. Um, yeah, the Lord just showed me all kinds of things that were in my heart that I didn't know were there. And, 
you know, it felt like for the first few years, even as God was sort of bearing fruit through the ministry, um, you know, things in my, in my sort of personal life were, uh, uh, getting worse and worse. And so just seeing what God was doing in terms of, um, not being content just to use me to do things, but, but actually work in my own life. Um, so I just learned a lot about making an idol out of ministry. Um, you know, what it means to take care of your family, uh, first, even, even if that makes you maybe look like less of a great pastor in other people's eyes. Um, yeah, just even the ways, you know, you handle stress and, and disappointment and those things. And, so the Lord, the Lord is definitely at work. Um, you know, I think the the one chapter in that in in Church Plans for Wimps that you know I think is the most important is the one where you know just talking through marriage stuff because I think that's where uh, so much of our um, focus in church planning is on strategies and you know getting a prospectus right and raising money and things like that. But actually, I think most churches um, struggle because the the pastor, the church planter, struggles personally um, and his family struggles. So. That was very helpful. And we always try to toss in at the end just some fun questions for our listeners about you. And um, uh, one of the questions I want to ask you is, uh, do you have a favorite handful of writers that you can share? Uh, sure. Do you want uh, you want Christian or outside? Really? We leave it. We leave it up to you. Sometimes we toss in. We've had people toss in fiction. Uh, sometimes uh, theology, church history, just uh, wherever you want to go. Okay. Um, I would say I'm a big fan of uh, Graham Greene um, as a novelist, and uh, yeah, so that would be one of my one of my favorites. Um, I really like uh, John Fowles also as a novelist, and uh, been been reading more Faulkner lately. So I'm not sure I'm ready to put him up as a favorite yet, but I think uh, I'm slowly coming over to the the dark side on that. Are you a so, Wendell Berry fan? I am. I was just uh, just reading a timbered choir to my my kids the other day. Um, I, I like his novels; they're a little slow paced, so I can't read them. I can't read more than one a year or so. But uh, I particularly enjoy his poetry. Um, so yeah, big Wendell Berry fan. So I uh, I'm I'm a sort of I'm a, I'm a jealous. So having having written you know a bunch of books, I like writing, but I don't don't have the capacity to write poetry or fiction, and so I'm just insanely jealous of people who can. Who can do that? And if I, uh, I joke with folks at church that if I could, if I could write like that, I would, I would quit. <laughs> I would, wouldn't even come back to the office. I would just immediately go do that. So I'm, I guess that's why the Lord didn't give that, didn't give that to me as a gift. Mm. <laughs> Michael, here's my fun question for you. So um, I lived outside of Philadelphia for a year. Right. What's your favorite place to get a Philly cheesesteak? Uh, Delisandros. You know, I never got to go there when I was up there. You got to go. You gotta really? Go. Okay, I heard about it. Yep, yep. It's. I think it's the. Uh, it's the, uh, the. The very best. So it's worth. It's worth the trip up into the, the northern part of the city. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time to be on the show today. It's been a joy. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, Michael. Good- thank you. On October 31, 1517, a German monk nailed 95 theses, or corrections, of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church to the town hall door. The ministries of men like Luther, Calvin, and Beza, and many others would spark an uprising that would later become 
known as the Reformation. This April 3rd through the 5th, come celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation at this year's Gospel Coalition National Conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. There are over 70 different scholars such as D.A. Carson, John Piper, Tim Keller, Kevin DeYoung, Paul Tripp, Russell Moore, Albert Moeller, and so many more. You don't want to miss this conference. Learn more about this incredible conference at www.2017.thegospelcoalition.org. Make sure you register early for discounted rates. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that this broadcast will be used to strengthen your faith and your love for the local church. Tune in next week when we interview New Testament scholar N.T. Wright on his new book, The Day the Revolution Began. The Daily Brew is a listener-supported broadcast. We exist because of generous donors such as yourself. If you're interested in having your business advertised on our show, please reach out to us through our Facebook page or our website at www.yourdailybrew.com.